Well, we're over in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua, the second chapter. Covered last week as we introduced the series here on, on Joshua. And here in chapter 2, they're going to come on up to the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho is not a particularly large city. It's kind of small in size. And uh, I'm told that it's about the whole city, the, according to the mound that is there, the city itself is about uh, 10 acres. Around the circumference of it is about a half mile. So from all that, you can kind of tell it's not not the biggest of cities, but this is where they came to. It is in a very strategic area. A lot of the passes are guarded by the city of Jericho. And Canaan is not a, a nation. It is a bunch of city-states. So each city kind of has their own king, and they govern themselves. But they came up to this, this particular city here because this is going to be the, uh, where they were going to start. So over... Uh, oh, I forgot to give you one more thing. Um, the the city itself has about 2,000 people in it. So again, it's not anything that's very large. But verse 1, Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Arcasia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they were not just supposed to look at Jericho, but they were to look at the land and then at least um, give them a detailed map of Jericho and some things about that because he knew that's where they were going to start. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Well, the uh, focus here in chapter 2 is really Rahab. She takes up most of the most of the things. And she's called here the harlot. Now what's interesting is the Hebrew word translated harlot, harlot can also mean one who keeps an inn. It's the same Hebrew word. And I guess the context would, would translate which way you do it. So if we only had the Old Testament, we wouldn't know her as Rahab the harlot or Rahab the innkeeper. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be sure which one. But if you go over to the New Testament, the New Testament tells us that she was a harlot because they have a very distinctive word for harlot in the Greek and that's the one they use. <laughs> so there is no question as to what her profession was. Now, we don't know if she had been and if she had changed her ways or if she continued in that way. We are pretty sure she changed her ways from here on out. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. In uh, James chapter 2, verse 25, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So she received them. Now, they, the messengers, when they came to the city, they had gone through the land, they had spied out the land and checked out the things they were supposed to check out. Uh, and of course, he only sent two. Now, part of the reason may not have been the... the, the easy numbers game to play here is that before we sent out 12 and 10 gave a bad report and 2 gave a good, so now we're just going to send out 2 and bring back a good report. But uh, they may have needed to keep the numbers smaller because of their focus on the city of Jericho. And apparently their uh, task was to enter Jericho. Much would have been much harder with 12 people. Much easier with 2. To at least enter into in such a way as to not be too conspicuous. So the spies came to Rahab. And you have to wonder, what is it that brought them to her house? Now, if you are one of the spies and you're going in there, and apparently 
as they're going through. These, these are not just common everyday guys. These are spies. These are of the 007 type of variety. They are trained to sneak in and to sneak out. And they are trained to pick up on stuff that, that happens. You ever watch some of those spy shows on TV? And the spies can tell when someone doesn't trust them, when someone doesn't think that uh, they're who they say they are. And so they know how to come up with things. They're trained that way. And apparently the spies must have picked up that someone in the city didn't believe that they were just passerbyers. And, and their identity was, was blown. So they needed to duck in someplace and find a place to cover. They're not going to get out of the city, so they've got to find a place to duck and cover. And somehow they come to Rahab's house. You, you have to think that these are spiritual people. I don't think they just happen to knock on the door and just say, well, let's just see what happens here. They probably were saying, Father, which way do we go? What door do we knock on? Because these spies, though they're, they're not a big focal part of their story, they are very exemplary people. Because they take on the mission to go into the enemy city. Now that takes a certain kind of person. Because most of us don't like to go into the enemy city. But these folks took up the challenge and, and went through all the land and then came over there to, to spy out Jericho. And when their cover was blown, for whatever reason, they found a place to duck into. Now once you get in there, now you've got to trust Rahab. All right, well, God brought us here. So now what do we do? Well, they had to divulge to Rahab, look, we're spies. We're sent out here to, you know, we're coming to destroy this, the city and we were supposed to come out here and get some information. Can you help us? I mean, if you were, if you were one of the ten spies who went in, you're dead meat. Those guys weren't very good. But do keep in mind that the two people who brought a good report Joshua and Caleb, one of them is picking these two. So he's going to pick someone along those lines, along the lines of what he is. He's a warrior. He's going to pick warrior people. He's a spiritual person. He's going to pick spiritual people. He's a man, as we've seen in his past, of integrity. And he's going to find people of that way too. These two spies are two people who impressed Joshua. He did not send out anybody who did not impress him. These people are two who impressed him. They impressed a spiritual man, a brave man, a warrior, a general, and one that God said would be the successor to Moses. That's how. That's the kind of caliber Joshua was. And he's picking the next guys to go in there and be the spies. And so these guys are on their own. You know, they, they can't call in for the helicopter. They can't call in for a, a, any kind of support staff. They are it. And they know that if they get in trouble, they're dead. So if they make a wrong decision, they're dead. And these, these people are not afraid of death. They wouldn't have been picked if they were. But if they die, they don't bring back whatever the information is that Joshua wanted. And so they probably go to God and say, God, we need to bring this information back. We were sent for a purpose. We want to bring the information back. You need to help us. Lead us which way we go. And they get over to Rahab's house and they, they talk with Rahab and say, all right, this, we're just going to lay it on the table for you. This is who we are. This is why we're here. And we're asking for your help. Maybe they even said something like, you know, we feel God led us to this place. We let, feel God led us to you. Uh, we don't know why, but this is why we're, we're here. And, and quite, I would love to, to hear what went on in that conversation. 
That's one of those untold stories. It's not in the Word of God. We just kind of get the, they met, they hid, they left. But uh, as we said, what a difference in the spies. These guys are something else. So the king gets word of it. Word gets on back to the king. So the king sends word over to Rahab's house, whether the king was there himself or he just sent somebody. Again, there's only 2,000 people in the city, roughly, somewhere in that neck of the woods. So it's not like the king is over great numbers of people that he's, he, he may have made the, per, the trip personally because this is quite important. And it's not like he had to go very far. Now, when you think about this, I, I saw the, the writing on this that it's around a half mile in circumference. So I began to think back to my track days. The track is a quarter mile in circumference. That means twice a track. That's not very big. I, I did a double take on that. I said, that can't be right. I went back to another source and sure enough, the other source said the same thing about a half mile in circumference. That's not a very big city. Certainly not by our standards today, but we're not looking at anything huge. So the king could certainly have left where he was and made it over there without delaying much time. So this is what they are walking around too. When they're walking around, they're walking a half mile. So, because sometimes we think of miles and miles that they probably walked around, but apparently, the, according to the mound that's there, it's a, it's a half mile. They didn't walk right next to the wall; they walked some distance away from it. So that made the circle bigger, but we're still not looking at that big of a circle. Even if you walked a mile, I mean, there's uh, grandparents who do that every morning. <laughs> Go out there and walk those those miles. My parents tell me about people who walk all over their neighborhood. Most of them have dogs, so it gives them purpose for walking. But not all do. So the king orders for Rahab to offer them up. But she disobeys the king's orders. And she lies. So the order is, bring out the men that you have come, who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me. So she heard the, 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 the uh, king coming and they heard the king's command. And so she hides them. Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Now, this, this is actually a believable story. Now, if she was a harlot, if that still was her occupation, it would not be uncommon for people to come in and go and she's not really asking a whole lot of questions about those things. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax which he had laid in order on the roof. Stalks of flax which he had laid in order. Now there's a story behind this. And it's not a real pleasant one. She makes this decision to uh, put them up there in the, in the flax. Now, the flax, I don't know if you're real familiar with this. I was not real familiar with this. But the, the flax in this is uh, it's a plant, and it's used for making linen. The young plants are used for high-quality cloth, and some of them are used for more decorative rope. The tougher plants are used for stronger rope. That's what they do. So they soak them. They, they take them and they soak them in stagnant water. I don't know why it has to be stagnant. I didn't get that information. I just know that that's what they did. They soaked them in stagnant water. After they harvest the plants, they, they, they do that. And um, 
then they laid them out to dry. So you had these plants that have been soaking in stagnant water and are apparently not the most smell, the nicest of things. And they laid them out to dry because it says that she laid them in order. There was an order to how she laid them out because she wants them to dry. So what these folks basically hid in was not a bunch of haystacks that were piled around that just kind of made a real nice place, but something extremely smelly, very smelly. And so can you imagine being in a very smelly place to hide? So even if the people came on up to look for them, the place was smelly enough that they probably didn't want to stay very long. Probably figured no one else wanted to stay up there either, so they're... No real reason for it. I heard this, this about it, that the smell and the sogginess would have made the place much like burying oneself in a pile of pig slops. So the, these spies, uh, and again, these are tough guys. So they, they hung out in this smelly area to hide from the, the people who wanted to get them. So we see that there's courage of the spies. They had courage to do the, the spying in the land. They had courage to go into the city. Because this is a small city. Imagine if you're a spy going into a small city that's a half mile in circumference. Ten acres altogether. That's not a whole lot. We look up in our neighborhood and most of our uh, parcels of land that are up in our neighborhood are, are around um, a third to a half an acre. And so if you count up a number of those, those places, that's only, <laughs> it's not very many houses. 20, 25 houses, maybe 30 at the most. And that's the area of the city. It just seems like it's extremely small. So we come back to Rahab. And you've got to wonder about this. When did she make the decision to protect the spies? When did she make that decision? Did she make it when she was asked? Or had she made the decision already? Because if the, if the spies came and they're trying to duck the, the people that are coming to get them, then they know they don't have a whole lot of time and it takes a little bit of time to tell the story. And so now she's got a decision to make. Did she, had she already made the decision? Remember it was that Elijah was sent to a widow woman who was prepared that perhaps God had prepared Rahab in advance and she was ready. Maybe she didn't hear a word from God saying that someone's coming to your house and I want you to hide them. But perhaps something happened that she, she felt like She'd be ready for that if it, uh, if it did come. So when the men came, maybe what they said, maybe what they did confirmed something in her. And then she, all right, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to hide you. But she's taking a risk. Because if she takes them in and hides them, she is just as much of an enemy as they are. And will incur the same punishment, which we know what they wanted to do with them. So then it goes on. Where do we leave off? Verse 7. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now the fords are just places in the Jordan where it's easier to cross. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. So she has come to this knowledge. I know that the Lord has given you the land that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all of the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt 
in what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above, the, above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me and by the Lord, since I have known, shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father and my mother, my brothers, my sister, and all that they have. And deliver our lives from death. So, these things that happened when, they, when the Lord dried up the Red Sea. It's one of the things that she says. What they did to the two kings of the Amorites, Sihon and Og. These events sent chills down the spines of the people of Canaan. Now, what's interesting was, what did it do for Israel? <laughs> did crossing the Red Sea and seeing the Red Sea dry up produce faith in Israel? But it produced faith in the Canaanites that God was God. Isn't that interesting how something that God intends for the children of Israel to grow their faith and get them ready for the test that would come doesn't? But for the people that it's not intended for, they grab hold of it? See, it's all a matter of what we grab hold of. We all have been given the same access to faith, to the Word, to revelation, to understanding that other people have. And some people have soared with it and some people have not. Because some people look at the Red Sea and they verify that God is God. And other people will look at the Red Sea and it does nothing for them. What side of the fence are we on on this thing? With all the revelation, with all the knowledge of the Word of God, has it produced faith in us? Are we further along? Or are we just like the children of Israel seeing miracle after miracle, revelation after revelation, and it has no effect on us at all? What does it do? As soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Now, she's a, she's a resident. She knows the people. But ten spies are going to come through this country and they aren't going to see that. They're going to see something different. This is a woman who lived with the people and she knew their responses and ten spies who came through to find out what their responses would be couldn't tell. So she goes on. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be whom the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Now, here's an interesting thing. In the days that follow the spies having left until Israel comes over and begins to walk around Jericho. In the days that follow, Rahab has to bring other people in on the decision that she's made to follow God. She has to talk to her mother, her father, brothers and sisters. And she has to reveal to them, I had the spies in my house. I hid them from the king. They're coming back with the children of Israel. They're going to conquer the city. But if you stay with me, you'll be spared. Now, she's trusting that these people will not turn her in. Now, you all know relatives. 
There, how many of y'all know there are some relatives that would turn you in? But she's going to go because of her love for these folks. She's going to go and she's going to sit down with her mom and dad. Mom and dad, you have a decision to make. And if mom and dad say, we're not going with this, we're going to tell the king, she's still dead. Trying to help other people. If mom and dad go along with it, she talks to her brothers and sisters and the brothers and sisters don't go along with it. She's still dead. And now so are her parents. Can you see what she had to do in these next couple of days? This is not just a, a cut and dry thing. She's had a series of decisions that started probably before the spies ever got there. That she would follow God no matter what the cost. That she had faith. From the time that she heard about the drying up of the river, it changed her. It had a positive effect on her. It put fear in the other people, but for her it had a positive effect. And she became a believer in God. And she's looking for that opportunity to... And here it was. This is an opportunity for her to to go with them. Then she let them down by a rope. Well, she's making a maker of flax there, I guess. <laughs> she ought to have some rope around. Through the wit- window for her house was on the city wall. Now, they did this a lot. They would build houses on the city wall and it benefited both. It's kind of like a win-win thing because the people who built the house had a nice solid wall to attach their house to and the wall was strengthened by the house. So it was kind of a win-win thing for, for both people. So she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall and she said to them, Go to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, may go your way. So go to the mountain. Go the opposite way, the river. The men are going to go down to the river and look for you. See where you're crossing at. So you don't go there. You go the opposite way and you wait a couple of days until they're done searching for you and then you can make your way on over there and, and get through. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of ours which you have made us swear unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers and all your father's household to your own home. So it will be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you have made us swear. So they're not making, them, making her you know, use a Jewish flag or anything like that. Put that out the window. <laughs> it's a scarlet cord that they let, her, let them down in. So it's something that she already had. It's not something that would be forward. But what's interesting is she has to take this scarlet cord and put it out the window. Now the city is shut up. So more than likely the residents who are in the city are not necessarily going to see the cord out the window unless they are looking out their own windows. If they stick their head out, they probably could see it. And, th- and some of them might ask, what's going on with the cord? There may be some patrols that go around the city and they may see the scarlet cord and may wonder. But she probably waited to put it out there until the people were encircling the, uh, the city. And we know that some of the people were on the walls ridiculing the, uh, the children of Israel. Then she said, according to your word, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Now there, it sounds like she did it right away. But at some point, from the time that they left, she put the scarlet cord in the, in the window. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way but did not find them. So the two men returned, descend, descended from the mountain and crossed over and they came to Joshua, 
the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Uh, Joshua said, Yeah, I knew that before. <laughs> That's how it was 40 years ago. It's how it is now. And Or 20 years ago. So, so they were more than ready to, to go on up here and to do all this. Now the challenges of sharing with their family, we already went over with you. They were hot in the, in the flax. It was, as we said, it was very smelly. Uh, but what was going through the minds of those in Rahab's house as the city was surrounded? If you were one of the ones inside of the house of Rahab, what would be going through your mind? Now, Rahab is the one who, when she hears these events, it's building faith in her and God. We don't know that it's doing anything with, like that for her family, but they may have come up. I'm sure that they probably had some conversations about it. And it has probably come up. And they probably saw that she had a softness towards the things of God, of Jehovah God. But when they're all in the house, then Rahab says to them, you need to stay in this room. On the wall, you need to stay here in this room. If you stay here in this room, you'll be okay. And again, there was anything said to her about the scarlet rope. We don't know about that. It's not recorded in, in Scripture. But she was on her own over there and apparently whatever happened to her after the spies left, we are not told about. Now here's some things to think about with this. What did Rahab know about God and what do we know? What did Rahab know about God? How much had she picked up? She's not with Israel. She's not getting a daily dose of word, but she's picking up some things about God that's building faith in her. It is amazing to me how some Christians build great faith on little revelation. And other Christians have great revelation and have no faith. The children of Israel had great revelation and no faith. Great revelation. No faith at all. Jesus went through and ministered great miracles. And for some it produced faith and for others, contempt. Who is he? Who does he think he is? What do we know about God? What are we doing with what we know? Does what we know about God change our life? I know it does for me. I got hungry for the things of God. Super hungry. I kept devouring tape after tape and still do. Because I know that the revelation of God is what keeps me stable and steady. Able to stand up against any test that comes my way. It's the revelation of God. You've got to glean the things of God before you need them. Rahab needed the knowledge that she had of God at this very moment. She had no time to go and study. I mean, she had it. She had to build it up. And now is decision time. What are you going to do? We are the spies. Will you, will you protect us? What sparked Rahab's faith? What is it that sparked Rahab's faith? What is it that had gone on in and around Rahab that sparked her to have faith in Jehovah God? And what is it that sparks our own faith? What is it that sparks us to a place of faith, to a place of believing? What gets us out of doubt and unbelief? Everybody else in the city, everybody else in the city was in doubt and unbelief and did not follow after God. Rahab is the only one who's pulled out, her and her family. That's it. The same thing, same revelation came to all of them. But what did they do with it? 
And what do we do with it? What are we doing with what we have? Has it sparked faith on the inside of us like it did for Rahab? I put this here in the end. What gave her faith in God? What gave her faith in God gave others fear. I think that's astounding. The same things that she meditated on that gave her faith in God, others meditated on and it gave them fear. Isn't that amazing? The same story, the same revelation, the same knowledge, the same events. For one person, it brings faith. For another, it brings fear. We're blaming a whole lot of things on what we have or don't have in our life. It's not that. It's how we've responded to it. Do we respond like Rahab? Or do we respond like everybody else in the city? Do we respond like Joshua and Caleb? Or do we respond like all the rest of the Israelites who heard the reports? How do we respond? How would we have done if we were one of the two spies who were sent in to spy out the land and go over to Jericho? What would we have done if we found out the word had gotten out that they know who we are? Would we sit there and cry and blame God? God, you're supposed to protect us. Or would we do as they did? All right, Father, they know we're here. Where can we go? What, what men of faith? Oh, I'll tell you what. The, those are two people. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to sit down and have a talk with them. How did it go? What did you do here? How did it happen in this way? Because they're not real prominent folks. We don't really hear a whole lot about them. But, wow, what they must have done. What they must have gone through. And then they came out and just bragged about God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're right. God has, God has done wondrous things. Wondrous things. They're ready for us to come in and, and take over. We are ready to go in and take over. Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Now, when they say all, you know what they're including? The women, the children, the fighting men, the kings, and the giants. They are counting all of them. Before, the people made certain distinctions. Well, there's giants. There's, the, there's this group of people. There's that group of people. Oh, they're terrible. They'll, they'll make mincemeat of us. And these folks come back and say, all of them, the giants, the kings, the warriors, the, the, no matter who they are, they're all faint-hearted because of us. They are all faint-hearted because of us. Oh, folks, to look at a great walled city like Jericho and say, man, this is going to be easy. <laughs> They are all faint-hearted because of us. But here's the main thing we need to take out of this. Do we respond like Rahab? Are events going on around that are producing fear or are events going around that are producing faith? The same event can produce faith. It can produce fear. And it's all up to us. It's all up to us. It's not the responsibility of the event. It's not the responsibility of God. It's our responsibility in how we respond. Can we measure up to Rahab, who was a harlot? Whether she currently was working that way or what, but that apparently was her transition, trans, uh, what she did. Can we measure up to a harlot, <laughs> so to speak, in our knowledge of God? We sure should be on. We, we certainly should. 
the same things that go on in our life, that go on for other people. Are they producing faith or are they producing fear? Do we have a heart filled with thanksgiving or are we grumbling and complaining? Children of Israel grumbled and complained every time they saw something. We could be over to God. Oh, I can't wait to see what's going on with this one. Oh, look at that great walled city. This is going to be a great victory for us. Which way do we look at it? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. There are situations in our lives that the enemy has made the, for the intention of bringing us down. But Father, you have the intention of elevating us, taking us up. The same situation can cause fear or the same situation can cause faith. It just depends on us. The big difference is how well do we know our God? How much do we trust our God? Those questions we have to answer. We can't keep hollering at the situations that are around us and saying, oh, these things need to change. It's us that needs to change. And we need to come to a place where we measure up and do things like Rahab did here and learn to have faith in God through the stories that she heard. Thank you, Father, that the revelations that we have are not going to waste. We are putting them to good use. We are meditating upon them, dwelling on them, and having more and more come to us. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.